Well, hey, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the elder pastors here, and it's a joy to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm going to continue to kind of uh, highlight Vicki for a second, just because, one, she is one of the most amazing women that I've ever met. Uh, and she didn't say this, but she's been, she has been like the spearhead behind what's going on in Zoe LA. And you might have been able to hear a lot of the work that they're doing right now is actually, you would never know it because of how positive she is. And I'm actually taking leaps here, but uh, because what she's walking through right now kind of sounds like my hell, like just like lots of paperwork, lots of people saying no, lots of trying to raise funds. It's not a, f- I, I don't think she's tasting the fruit <laughs> exactly in this moment, but she is an amazing woman who loves Jesus and who has genuinely given her life to serve her, to serve him. If you guys don't know, Vicki was a part of uh, an org- uh, a business called uh, Regency Lighting, which if you were part of us when we were in Thousand Oaks, uh, Evan and Shannon Regentreif, Evan is the president of that company. And so she actually left them, said, sorry guys, God's calling me to be a part of Zoe and now works full time with Zoe. And so uh, she's the real deal. Uh, And I just encourage you guys, get time with her, get information. And now that Zoe has a presence in LA, there is legitimately opportunity for us to serve, for us to get involved. No matter who you are, what your background is, you have stuff to give. It's part of what we learned in our church series. And so we just invite you to be a part of that. The other piece I want to touch on there that we were just talking about with Vicki, again, because for some of us, Zoe is uh, a new story, or for those of you who've been around, you know we've been involved with them for quite a long time. Uh, But what Zoe cares about the most is seeing people come to know Jesus. And Thailand is less than a 1% Christian, uh, and they have seen legitimately thousands and thousands of people come to know Jesus. Uh, I forget, uh, Carol shared with me something. It was like, of the kids that come into, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Vicki, uh, but like of the kids who come into the group home, it's like in the high, like 98 percentile, ni- like some crazy number of them come to know Jesus, which, which is amazing. And then they go through Bible school, and then they start taking the gospel all throughout Thailand. And so it's locals who come to know Jesus who now become missionaries in their own hometown. It is absolutely amazing. And that's a great segue into what we're doing today. Oh, yes, Missy. 1% is Christian, less than 1% is Christian in Thailand. Hindu and Buddhist? Buddhist. Yep. It's not, Buddhist isn't the rest, but Buddhist is the largest chunk. There's, there's other that exist in there, Hinduism, animism, and a few other things, I'm sure. But, but Buddhism is the biggest chunk, for sure. Uh, so, but yeah, lots to be praying about. And this was a great segue for us this morning as we begin our Celebrate Generosity series. We do this every year. We choose this season, September and October to put all our full force and our attention on this particular quality of generosity that God perfectly exemplifies and that his people are called to reflect. If you've been a part of Anthem Church for a period of time or you're brand new, this is a great series to jump into because generosity is one of our core values. It's a part of who we are. This is part of why God called us to exist and plant to become a generous church. And generosity has become increasingly important as our culture has grown increasingly self-focused, we know that the gospel will be always countercultural, regardless 
of the culture, there will always be something that it needs to combat. And in our time and place, one of the key battlegrounds is greed, covetousness, selfishness, self-indulgence versus generosity, mercy, compassion, and charity. How we respond to the gospel in our context matters. People will see Jesus most clearly when he brings a prophetic contradiction to the direction of this world. And our world for a long time, actually probably since the beginning, has tried to tell us if you just have enough things, if you just have enough money, if you just have enough comfort, you will be successful or you will be happy, you will be content. It's a well overused quote now, but Jim Carrey said a long time ago, uh, I don't think Jim Carrey ever expected to be quoted in a church gathering as much as he probably has over the last 10 years, but he, he said, I wish everyone on the face of the planet could be rich so that they would know that there is no happiness there. I wish everybody on the face of the planet could be rich because they would know that there's no happiness there. We need to combat this love of money, this love of possession that exists within our culture, and if we're honest, exists within us. To be honest, the default for humankind or mankind is to fall in love with the thing that appears to bring you the most satisfaction, which is why money is so tantalizing. And for us as a church, this is our ninth anniversary, not for Anthem Camarillo necessarily. We haven't been around for seven years, but we plant, started with Anthem Thousand Oaks nine years ago in October. And this is going to be our eighth year doing Celebrate Generosity. And as we step into these three weeks of focusing our attention on generosity, I want to encourage us with a few passages that are almost going to serve as like themes for our series and potentially even depending on where you're at in your walk, but this also might be a theme for you in this season of life. Let's start with 2 Thessalonians 3.13. As for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. As for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6.9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In Camarillo now, we've been out here for seven years, and I hope that over the last seven years, you've seen the fruitfulness and the power of generosity and even if you have, or maybe you haven't, but it, especially if you have, it can be hard to press on and endure in obeying the call of God to live a generous life. Paul had to remind two churches to not grow weary in doing good. There's fatigue that can set in. I've on almost every single person that I've talked to this summer, not just in the area of generosity, but throughout this summer, it feels like there was a level of fatigue almost like I had never seen before where almost everyone that I talked to in some way, shape, or form was experiencing some extra fatigue than normal. And Paul's call is to press in. Because when we choose to walk in generosity, we battle the enemy's efforts to drive us toward ourselves. So with that, my encouragement this year is 
that we celebrate just generosity in a way that we never have. And if you've never participated with that before, make it a point. October 14th, all four of our churches, folks from Denver are flying back to be a part. We are going to be celebrating at Canal Creek Park. Make it a point to be there. We're going to have a phenomenal time and be praying about how God is stirring you to participate in growing in generosity together. The reality is generosity is a little bit uncomfortable part of following Jesus. Jesus presses into the uncomfortable space of money way too often for many of our comfort zones. Most of us don't live with financial margin. The crazy thing about our world is that there are luxuries for every income level. There's no dollar you can make that you can't spend. At least that's the way the world wants us to think, and that's the way I often think, or many of us feel sometimes. But the Bible has a different perspective. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, generosity at its core is investing the resources that God has entrusted to us into bringing God's compassion to the lives of people. We give and we give generously solely for the benefit of someone else and the furthering of God's name, not so that I might get something in return. We don't give because we think that God is going to give us more back. That is a heresy that we call the prosperity gospel. We don't ask you to give $100 and tell you that God is going to multiply it into 1000 and give it back to you so you can buy a Corvette. That is not part of the gospel. We give because we have tasted that God himself is a generous God, so generous that he gave us his son Jesus Christ to go to the cross on our behalf and be crucified, that we might be redeemed, that we might be made whole. Over the next three weeks, we're going to examine generosity and its impact in three ways. Generosity for global impact, local impact, and planting new churches. To start, we're going to open up scriptures to see God's heart for the nations and go, excuse me, and look at what happens when the generosity of communities or churches or regions, what that can do to impact the mission of Jesus in another part of the world. With that, let's, let's pray. God, we ask that you would teach us this morning. We ask that you would be with us. We ask that you would stir us. Father, many of us in this room might already be a little bit uncomfortable because we don't have very much margin, especially in our budgets or in our time or in our schedules. And Lord, you know all of those things. And Lord, we just want to come to you and we want to bring our whole self in front of you. We want to bring our whole budget in front of you. We just want to say, Lord, here we are. We know that you are not a God who motivates by guilt or shame. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you in power to come now to be stirring, to be moving, to be convicting, to be speaking. 
And Father, we ask that because we've tasted your generosity, that we, as a church family, would want to give and continue to give that generosity out in a way that others might taste and see that you're good too. So would you speak through me today and through your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God has communicated his heart for the whole world since long before the nations even existed. In Genesis 1, God told us to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. In Genesis 12, he's speaking to Abram, and he says that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is where we get the language that you have been blessed to be a blessing. And God's heart for the nations is something that we see throughout Scripture, ultimately and chiefly being manifested in Jesus' resurrection and the Spirit being poured out in Acts 2. In the Great Commission, Jesus commands the disciples to go into all nations, with the gospel. And in Acts 1.8, he tells them that they must wait until they receive power from on high, until they receive the Holy Spirit. And from that point forward, they are going to take God's presence to the ends of the earth. And throughout the course of the book of Acts, we see people from Asia, Africa, and Europe coming to faith in Christ and continuing to take those names, or excuse me, to take Jesus into those regions. God's heart is to take the saving grace of Jesus to the nations, all nations, not just the ones that we like, but all nations. And as he loves all people everywhere, God has invited us into a story of expressing his love to the ends of the earth. Some of us, we need to adopt God's heart for the nations. Just so you know, when we first started Anthem, our, we had a, a pretty narrow scope. We were just looking at Ventura County, and we just had our eyes kind of almost face down a little bit too much. It wasn't until the Lord brought in some friends from the outside, like you've met Terry Fouché and Chris Vinant, who helped open our eyes and begin to see that there was a lot more that God was doing outside of just Ventura County, that there were a lot of issues that this world was facing, that even though we were our small group of people, that we could actually begin to have an impact around the world. We had actually a really small view. The problem was our, our view of God was a little bit too small. And we lost sight that we are a part of a global story, not just a local one. And that our God doesn't just want to save Camarillo. That he wants to reach into the deep and darkest places of this world. Restoring. Rescuing redeeming. And I'm really grateful that seven years ago or so, the Lord began to lift our eyes up and see that, yes, even though we exist in Camarillo and Thousand Oaks and Ventura, that we can actually play a part in seeing people in Thailand, in Nepal, in Indonesia, all around the world come to know Jesus in Laos. Scott and Alexis, amazing. But what we want to do is we, we want to have that kind of in, in our background, but I want to see how global impact can become possible through local generosity. 
Let's look at 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, and it should be on the screen. Now concerning the collection of, for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of each week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Now we're going to read 2 Corinthians 9, 12 through 15, and then we're going to unpack some of this. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So there are a few things that we need to see here in these two passages. First, it's assumed. It's assumed that the body of Christ, the church, will help financially take care of one another in times of need. That they will share. Even if they aren't a part of your local congregation. This is assumed. This is very much the thought, the pattern, the character trait of the body of Christ. That they will share. They will take care of one another, including financially. Even if they aren't part of your local congregation. Two, being generous is more effective when it's planned. Talked about setting aside something every single week, the first day of the week, set aside something. My uh, cousin, her name's Sarah, her and her husband, Darren, are probably two of the best budgeters that I know, uh, and it's kind of annoying uh, in some regard. But what's amazing is that they intentionally plan for generosity. Every single month, they set things aside. And they create a generosity slush fund. Most of us don't have a generosity slush fund. Most of us have like a uh, travel slush fund. Or we have a date night slush fund. And those things aren't bad. But what's been amazing for me to see with them is that over the years, as needs have come up or as they get the opportunity, they're actually able to cut a substantial check and be able to say yes because they've planned and they've prepared for generosity. I've never met somebody who says they don't want to be generous. Have you noticed that? There's nobody that, you know a character trait I don't want? Generosity. I don't want to be known as a generous person. Even the heathens don't want to be known as ungenerous people. But I also haven't met too many people who say, you know the character trait I want to be known by? Budgeting. <laughs> Or planning, you know. And again, trust me, most people who are budgers, I just got to be honest, they take it too far. We need a happy medium. We need a happy medium, okay? There's some of you that live by Dave Ramsey more than you do by the word of God. And, uh, so we, we need a happy medium here. But I want us to see in scripture, there's great wisdom in planning for generosity. Because if one thing's for sure, there will be a time when somebody around you, or maybe yourself, is in great need. 
And the reality is you want to help. Now, finances aren't the only way that we get to be generous by any means. But we want to plan for generosity. We want to plan that with our finances. We want to plan that even with our lives and our time. Those are probably the two biggest areas that I believe God is calling the church to continue to press into, to be generous with our finances and to be generous with our time. And the real, I think, to be honest, most of the time, people have more money than they do time, or they think they have more money than they do time. And so uh, if we were talking about another sermon here where we were talking about margins, we get into Ruth, and I'd really talk about how can we help and set up healthy margins in our life that we can actually plan. We can actually plan for spontaneity. We can actually plan to be interrupted. We can create lives in such a way where we're not so hurried that when somebody asks for help, we're like, sorry, I got to go to this thing. Let's plan to be generous. Third, and most importantly, when we are generous with what God has entrusted, we glorify. And when we say the word glory or when we glorify, I love it. A lot of times we talk about songs like, oh God, the glory is yours. Or we talk about the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But when you ask somebody what the word glorify means or glory means, most people are a little bit confused. We think it's like something mysterious or like shiny. It's probably the first thing that I think when I think of glory, I think of shiny. Uh, Maybe that's not altogether wrong, but really what glorified is or glory is, it's making Jesus seen. It's that Jesus's actual characteristics, his personhood, the invisible side of Jesus or God becomes seen. That's what it means to glorify him. So when we are generous, we glorify God. We mean we get to show the world, we get to show Jesus to the world. We get to show the world what God is like. I want to read from uh, an excerpt from Preston Sprinkle as he kind of explains kind of the behind the scenes of what's happening in these two passages. We see this uh, throughout Acts kind of of what's happening here. So it starts in Acts 11, 27. I'm just referencing some things here as I'm reading this quote, and I'm not sure if we have the quote up on screen or not. Um, But he says it all starts in Acts 11, 27 through 30, where a prophet named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. He's giving context to what we read in those two passages in Corinthians. And in response to the famine, the disciples determined every one of them, <coughs> everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The relief was a financial gift collected from various churches in Greece and Asia Minor and sent to the impoverished churches in Jerusalem. This gift has been called the Jerusalem Council. About this collection, Paul has a lot to say. Sometime between Acts 12 and 15, and again, if you're like you're reading, I'm, I'm reading a quote. <clears throat> between Acts 12 and 15, Paul met with Peter, James, and John, leaders of the Jerusalem church, to talk about Paul's future ministry to the Gentiles. At the end of the day, one of the things the leaders told Paul was remember the poor in Jerusalem, which Paul was very eager to do. And by remember, Paul didn't mean cognitive recollection, Rather, Paul sent out on a mission to bring financial relief to the poor saints in Jerusalem. So in late autumn, around AD 49, Paul embarked on his second missionary journey 
which was largely aimed at collecting money from the wealthier Gentile churches in Asia Minor and Greece to give poor believers uh, to give to the poor believers in Jerusalem. So why do we go through this? I love this, and it's important for us to see that here are all these churches that have been started, these churches that actually have a very different lineage and background in history than the church that is in Jerusalem. And all of these churches who are primarily Gentile churches, again, a lot of the Jews who have become believers in Jerusalem, a lot of them probably have a little bit of angst. There's probably a little bit of political strife between the two people groups. And yet these Gentile believers are giving money hand over fist to be taken back to take care of the church in Jerusalem. Not because the church of Jerusalem is any better than the church in Asia Minor, but because the church in Asia Minor and Antioch and around have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They have experienced the generosity of God in their own lives. And they know that God wants to express his generosity to others, especially the church. Paul says that your abundance can supply for their need, and their abundance in other areas can supply for your need. And he seems so genuinely excited about the opportunity to call on the body of Christ worldwide to help out with those in need in another part of the world. A lot of times in our culture, the church often gets blamed for talking about money. Uh, People don't want to hear them talk about money. They just think people are wanting to increase their budgets and to get more things. And if you look around, you might notice that we do share facility actually with the Boys and Girls Club. It's theirs. We rent it. Uh, we don't have the largest staff. Uh, we have hand-me-down chairs, and we have lots of different things that are sort of breaking. Um, we are not asking you to give us more money so we can have a bigger production or so that we can have the biggest church in Camarillo. We don't care about having the biggest church in Camarillo. We'd love to be the best church for the city of Camarillo, where we get to bless them, love them, care for them. But what we do care about is God brewing in you a heart of generosity so that you and me, that we don't miss out. See, Paul's heart with the church's it's almost like, you guys, if you don't participate in this, you actually are missing out. You're missing out on the opportunity to see God do amazing things back in Jerusalem or to see God do amazing things in Thailand, Nepal, Indonesia, Laos. You're missing out. You're missing out on getting a global perspective and understanding that God cares legitimately, that Jesus didn't just die for you. He, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For Paul, this is invitation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no like uh, trying to manipulate anything. He's not getting an extra cut. Paul is inviting them. So much so, and like in Thessalonica, we see this this desire of like this really poor church. They beg Paul to let him to let them give him money. And there's two pieces to that. One is because they want to be part of the story. There's another piece to that, which is if we're not careful, our default is to fall in love with money. And God gives, one of the reasons God gives us the opportunity to be generous and to tithe and to do all these things is so that we can regularly divorce our heart from the love of money because by accident it becomes king. 
But Paul is genuinely excited about the opportunity to call on the body of Christ worldwide to help out those in need in other parts of the world. And that's at the very heart of our global initiatives. We want to be part of the global mission story in addition to being on mission right where we're at. And one of the best ways for us to do that is through financial generosity, supporting mission, ministry, and people around the world. Accelerating ministry through partnership. Of course, we love, absolutely love, having a home like this in Camarillo. And we are on mission here. And we're on mission in every arena of our lives in our community. And we're a voice for the gospel. And we'll always continue to encourage that with one another in this space. But we also want to invite each other into a global story. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 16 through 17. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me for help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's attitude toward the Philippians was that their ministry fruitfulness increased when they sent money to Paul in Thessalonica. So here's the deal. You guys heard me call out the prosperity gospel at the beginning of our message, which is I, I think we need to do. But one of the reasons why the prosperity gospel has some merit to it is because there's, there's pieces of it that are true. There's pieces of the prosperity gospel that are true in the sense that it is beneficial to your soul and to mine to give generously. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What Paul is saying is as you give, as you are generous, guess what God is going to produce fruit. See, when they sent money to Paul in Thessalonica, Paul was planting a church and leading people to Christ, and the Philippians stayed home. But their fruit grew on Paul's tree. In other words, Paul saw them as a key part of the success of his ministry because he was able to do what he did because of their partnership. When we partner with the likes of Zoe International and Touch Nepal and with Scott and Alexis, we are joining them in ministry. And fruit is beginning to be produced. Giving financially can never replace mission, but it is a way to extend mission beyond what we can do with our voices and our presence. By sending money into Nepal and Thailand and to Laos and, uh, to preach, we, we get the opportunity to see the gospel preached in Nepali, and we get to see the gospel preached in Thai, and, and guess what? I can't speak Nepali or Thai and don't really plan to learn those languages. I don't have the time at the moment. But because of faithfully and generously being able to participate there, we're able to release people who speak Thai and Nepali way better than I could if I spent seven years trying to learn it. We're able to train up pastors and leaders. We're able to rescue kids out of slavery. We're able to minister to communities where nobody has ever heard the name of Jesus. 
When I got to go to Nepal a handful of years ago, in fact, Vinny's here, he's going to Nepal on Monday. Uh, I got the chance to go to legitimately a wood hut uh, in a little dome um, and preach the gospel where, one, they'd never seen a white person before, and uh, many of them had never even heard the name of Jesus before. We, we don't understand that in our context because sometimes we're so locked in here. But that was a life-changing trip for me. These guys... Pastor Babu and Biki and Bikas and um, another guy that I can't pronounce his name, they're doing this every day. Like, that's their normal. And because of our partnership with them, we get to continue to help release them to do it. Right now, Tim and Lori Donahue are in Indonesia working with an amazing group of locals where they have seen, there's a, there's a movement happening. I don't know if you guys know this. There's a movement happening in Indonesia right now, in the last five years, over 100,000 Muslims have come to know Jesus. In the last five years. It's incredible. He works with this guy, his alias is, his na- his alias is Trevor, uh, which is so confusing to me. Um, but it's cool that he has to use an alias. I love that. Like, again, outside of our context, we don't get like needing to use an alias to stay safe. But, man... When was the last time you, we saw people in America talk about, one, loving Muslims, two, giving your life for Muslims, three, seeing Muslims come to know Jesus? Like, it's pretty rare that we see that in our culture, in our country. And sometimes, for some reason or another, God moves in different ways, in different season and time. And right now, there is a harvest that's being reaped in Indonesia, which is beautiful. And Tim and Lori are there, and many of you have helped financially support them. And Tim and Lori are there, and they're not preaching the gospel necessarily. With their, they don't speak. There's so many languages. Uh, all of the languages, they only speak English. <laughs> and Lori, especially, Tim's a doctor, but Lori's there just, like, helping hand out medication. Well, what they are doing is they're provi- helping provide opportunity for the local churches and the local pastors and the local believers to engage with those who don't know Jesus, have never heard the name of Jesus. And they're seeing many people be exposed to Jesus for the first time. And the reason they're able to do that is because of the generosity that's coming from the church at large. Local generosity released into a global perspective, to right places. This is also very important. We don't just throw money in the air and say, do something with it. Uh, But given in the right places, man, has the opportunity to be incredibly impactful. And as we start our time today, and as we look at wanting to ask God to, to be stirred by him, to be generous so that God could use funds and resources globally for his purposes. I want to make sure that we look at 2 Corinthians 9-7 where it says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's really important to me as we talk about generosity that You've heard me say it, I think, a few times. There's no guilt. There's no shame. This is not motivating. We're not trying to, like, twist your arm and to do it. We firmly believe in it. But God doesn't just care about your money. He cares about your heart. 
The reality is God doesn't have a money problem. We can never outgive God. I firmly believe one of the primary reasons God asks and talks about money so much is because he cares about our hearts so much. Because he knows that so many of us have a tendency to fall in love with money on purpose or on accident and to let it become the thing that we serve rather than Jesus himself. And so God invites you to give, and he invites you to give generously. Not even so you can fill up God's bank account. God, that's not what it is. Honestly, I think it's so that our hearts could be, be divorced from believing that money provides me something that God alone can do. And that's fulfill me in the deepest places of my heart. That's to know me and to love me and to put me a, be a part of a community where I'm part of something bigger than myself. So as we talk about this idea of being generous and, and about uh, giving to global initiatives and global impact initiatives, we want to make sure that we're doing it from a cheerful place, from a place where we are doing it because we have tasted and seen that God is good and that we may not be able to go to Indonesia or to Nepal or to Zoe, Thailand, but we are able to plan to be generous on a regular basis to try and help release those in those other cultures, in those other regions, in those other states, and those other continents, so we can help release those. To take the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Because guess what? We can't do it on our own. And we need each other. So, worship team, you guys come on up. So God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, there's a bit of a challenge here because you can't just make yourself a cheerful giver. I don't know if you've tried that before or not. Uh, you can't will yourself to be cheerful. Generally, when you do, you're cheerful for like a moment, and then all of a sudden you're bitter really quick. Um, and cheerfulness is hard. How do we become a cheerful giver? How do we become ones who give from a place generally where it actually produces joy? It can be a bit of a process. Some people will say, well, I'm not cheerful about giving money, so I don't ever give money. I, then you're probably never going to become a cheerful giver. I have started working out again. I know you can tell. Um, I, I did leg day like a month ago with John, and it hurt so bad. I was like, I almost stumbled down. I, I don't live in a house with stairs, but I was at a place where I had to go downstairs every single day for two days right after I did leg day. And I thought I was maybe going to have a serious accident because it hurts so bad walking down. But like, I, right now, working out's not like a super cheerful thing for me. I know it's good for me, and I know it's producing good things in me. And the less I do it, the less cheerful it is. But the more I do it, the more I begin to see, whoa, there's benefit to this. There is 
there are beneficial things happening in me as I'm saying no to certain cravings, as I'm being more disciplined, as I'm beginning to go to bed earlier so I can get up earlier. There's things that are beginning to happen in me. The same is true with something like giving. I don't care about the amount that you give, but we need to grow and be a disciplined people to regularly give, to regularly be generous. And cheerfulness, I guarantee you, will come. If you're never cheerful, we need to have another conversation. But when you don't hear, when, you don't, when there's something in you that doesn't make your heart flutter, when somebody like Zoe gets up and talks about what God has been doing as a result of some of your, our generosity, like, whoa, that like, that like just makes me smile and cry at the same time. There's a cheerfulness that just starts coming. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. I want to invite you and me to continue our story in being a generous people and to not grow weary in doing good. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. We ask that you would create in us, continue to create in us. I thank you that we're part of a church family that loves to be generous and tries to be generous and it's still hard to be generous and I love money way more than I should. I'm honest. We just ask you, Lord, to continue to stir in us, to continue to make us more like Jesus, continue to grow in us a heart of generosity. Not so that we can say, oh, we did all of these things, but because, God, you are a generous God, and we want to see people taste and see that you are good. And so, Father, would you take what's been entrusted to us, and would you increase it, and would you give us a desire to give it away? I pray for my friends, for myself, for Keely and I, that as Celebrate Generosity comes up, that we would be willing and that we would be praying about, God, how are, what are you calling us to give away? Would you give us a, a cheerfulness to know that as we give, Lord, you do amazing things. We love you so much. We thank you for this time. Pray you be with us as we, as we respond now in Jesus' name. Amen.